that, you don't want to hear it. I feel sorry for you. I'm even glad I heard that song. Thank you, Kyle. It's a sad day in the life of a Christian when he or she loses that tremendous joy that salvation can bring. The other night I had a very interesting opportunity to meet a guy, and I hope he can come to chapel. I don't know if you've had a chance to talk to the, the guy I told you about who plays the harp. I, I, I was uh, preaching, and I was at a conference, and there was a guy there who played the harp. Now, usually you think of a guy who plays the harp, uh, sort of a gentle, kind of quiet, meek. I mean, you can't even imagine a guy playing a harp, maybe, because you've only seen girls play harps. This guy's about um, 6'3", 230. He's a weightlifter, has about a 32-inch waist, and his massive arms, and he literally beats the harp to death. It's absolutely the most incredible thing I ever saw. He manhandles the harp. But what is really amazing is he's just a new, relatively new Christian. He was converted. He was a jazz harpist. And he's come to Christ. He even told me he plays rock and roll harp. I never heard of such a thing, you know. But anyway, he, he has been converted to Christ. And he, all he can talk about is what happened in his life. And they asked him in this thing to play when the saints go marching in, which he played on the harp. Absolutely unbelievable. He beats his foot. He beats the harp. He plays the strings the whole nine yards. And when he got done, he was, and there's no words, it's just music, but he's playing when the saints go marching in. He came back to the platform, sat down next to me and said, Oh, Lord Jesus, please now, come now. I can't take it. Lord God, come. And he just was absolutely ecstatic. All he could think about was heaven. Well, he told me he was saved out of alcoholism and drug addiction and jazz and the occult, and he can't still get over the transformation of his life. If you lose that, you've really lost something, haven't you? That exhilaration of coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, usually you, uh, you hear me on Monday, and I'm like the poor. You always have me with you. So, uh, <laughs> so we're going to take a day off of that today because I have a very special friend who's with me, uh, Bruce Peterson. Bruce is from Scroon Lake, New York, which is a little town in upstate New York where Word of Life... How many of you have ever been to Word of Life? Oh, that's great. You have friends, Bruce. And uh, Bruce and I met some years ago. I think the first time we met uh, was on a boat uh, down in the Caribbean on our way to Puerto Rico or somewhere. I don't know exactly. And we've become good friends. I thank God for his ministry. He has a business of um, travel involvement. We've been to Israel and other places together. He also is involved in another business um, all across America with a corporation known as the Premier Corporation. He also, as a layman, speaks on the Word of God, does seminars, helping people understand their stewardship as Christians. And I think it's refreshing for us to hear so often from preachers, to hear from someone who's a businessman, what God is doing in his life, what God has taught him, and how he can transfer that to us. And I want you to know, Bruce, that we are really honored to have you at the Master's College. Let's welcome him as he comes. Well, I have to put in my material that I substituted for John MacArthur because uh, that's really something. John has really had a ministry in my life. I travel all the time and I'm not in my own local church on a regular basis. I'm someplace else and a lot of times doing the ministering. So those little tapes that I carry around in my briefcase with my Walkman 
enables me to grow in the things of the Lord. And I guess that I hear John speak more than I hear my own pastor speak. So it's really a thrill for me to be here and be able to share some things from God's Word with you as it relates to a businessman. I just want to tell you that uh, I don't take the responsibility lightly. What I have to say today is really of little importance in relationship to what God might want to say to you. And I just trust you keep your hearts open and receptive that possibly something we might say today will encourage you in your Christian walk. Now, we're going to be talking about making right choices. It was interesting when Russ prayed a few moments ago, he alluded to the fact that you had a choice to make this week. Either you were going to choose to live a victorious life or you were going to choose to live a life of mediocrity. And I'm going to make a statement now as we begin and I'd like you, if you have a pencil and a piece of paper, to just kind of jot it down. If you don't have one, possibly you can uh, pick it up from someone else later. And we're going to allude to it a few times as we minister to you this morning. The statement is this. Our life is not determined by what we want. Our life is determined by the choices that we make. Let me say that again. The direction of your life, the direction of my life, is not determined by what I want, the desires I have, the goals that I set for myself. And I'm a very, very goal-oriented person. I'm involved in a multitude of things. But the direction of my life is not determined by those things. The direction of my life and the direction of your life is determined by the choices, the decisions that you make. If we passed out paper this morning, every one of you had an individual piece of paper and a pencil, and I said, I'd like you to write on that paper what you really want out of life. What are your goals? What are your desires? What would you really want to see happen as far as your own life is concerned? After we collected the papers and sat down and looked at them, we would see great similarities. You're here because you really sense in your heart that you want to do what God wants you to do. That's a desire for maybe all of you, at least a very large percentage of you. You really would say, I want what God wants. Or you would say, I'd like to meet someone, possibly here, and get married, fall in love. Trust you, fall in love first and then get married. Have a ministry, job responsibility, home, security, love. All these things you would put down on your paper. If 20 years from now we're able to contact all of you and we sent you the expense money to come right here to the gymnasium and we were going to have kind of a little rap session to find out how many of you met all these goals and objectives, wants, desires. In other words, as you went down the list, the things that you wrote down today that you really, really wanted to happen, I wonder how many of them would be realities. And how many of you will kind of be thrown on the scrap heap, so to speak, kind of a castaway, not really, really being able to use of God, not because you didn't want to be, not because you didn't desire to be, but because of wrong choices. As I travel around the country ministering in various places, talking to a lot of people, you see a lot of lives going in wrong directions and you begin to probe and you see a lot of decisions and choices that are made day by day that makes it impossible for God to really use that life to the praise of His glory. To kind of set the scene a little bit, I want you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. I want to look at four verses. 
The word choice is not in these verses, but I'm going to look at three things very, very quickly to kind of set the tempo as we talk a little bit about making choices. One of the key ingredients to be a successful business person is to be able to make decisions. If you can't make decisions, you can't be successful in various business endeavors. Here in Jeremiah chapter 18, we have the Lord speaking to Jeremiah, and he gives him some instructions. It says in verse 1, Arise, the, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Now very, very simply, Jeremiah went down, visualize it. He looked into a window, into a potter's house, and he saw three things. He saw a potter sitting at a wheel, number two, working with some clay, number three. Now I've had the opportunity to be to Israel on multiple occasions, maybe 35 or 40 over the years. Uh, John and I had the opportunity of being there together a number of years ago and on many occasions I like to go out to a little town of Hebron, a few miles beyond Bethlehem, because there is a potter that works like the ancient potters worked in biblical times. In fact, there's a probably a book on uh, biblical history in your library that has a picture of this man, a colored picture sitting there working at his wheel. Now, I'd like to take people there to watch this man. It's really intriguing. He'll reach down and get some clay, put it on the wheel, start to pump the wheel and work with this clay, and pretty soon he's formed something very, very beautiful. I've had on occasion someone say, could you make something for me? And, of course, they have to wait until he can fire it and go through all the process to make it something they can take home, which would take a week or so. But they'll ask him a question. And a lady might say, I see a vase over there with a neck about this long. I'd like a neck about that long. So I don't know for sure, but he would go ahead and try, and sometimes the neck would get so far it would start to tilt to one side. I've seen him only on once or twice, uh, a couple of occasions, make a mistake and just kind of scrunch that clay and throw it over his shoulder. Even though this potter in Hebron is very, very skillful, very imaginative, he still makes mistakes. He doesn't know the beginning from the end. He doesn't know for sure. He's got a good idea what's going to happen with something and he begins to work it, but he doesn't know for sure. I'm thankful that the potter spoken of here in God's Word doesn't experiment. He doesn't take my life and say, well, Bruce, uh, your life's an experiment. I don't know exactly what direction it's going to go in. I don't know what's going to happen, but just take each day as it comes and work it out the best you can, and we'll see what happens in the end. That's not true, because it tells us in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8, O Lord, Thou art our Father, we are the clay, and Thou art potter. No mistakes. No experiments, no wondering. Some familiar verses, Psalms 139, for example, 14, 15, and 16, to summarize, God says, You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, Marvelous are my works, fantastic the way I made you. Then the next two verses, He talks about, Even before you were conceived in the womb of your mother, I had your whole life laid out before you. I'm not going to experiment with you. I made you just the way I wanted you to be made. You have a choice to make about that. How do you feel in the morning when you get up and you go into the bathroom to brush your teeth, put your makeup on, comb your hair or whatever? Do you look in the mirror and say, oh Lord, thank you. 
fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. Or do you kind of say, ugh? And you know that the word says that God never slumbers or sleeps, but maybe, just possibly, one day in the whole plan of the universe, God slumbered. He slept the day I was being designed. We know that isn't true. You have a choice to make. You're willing to say, Father, I thank you for how you made me and who I am and what I can do to praise you through the life that you have created. I think the most difficult thing for a Christian is to trust the Lord. I, I really feel it's much easier to trust Christ for salvation than to trust Him after salvation. As a businessman, I find myself with great difficulty sometimes when I have to make a decision that I really feel that God is in it. To trust Him. I mean, what if? Making those decisions, those choices day by day. And I think that it's impossible, really, for a person to really be fully used of God if they can't establish right from the beginning, thank you, Lord, for the way you made me. Yes, I can't sing like the gentleman who sang this morning. I can't preach like John MacArthur. I can't hit a baseball like so-and-so. I can't knit and sew or cook or bake like whoever she may be. But whatever it is that God has designed for you to do, no one else can do it quite like you can do it for the glory of God. No one can do what God has called me to do. I have an awesome responsibility to make sure that that aspect is accomplished as far as my own life is concerned. The second thing that Jeremiah saw was that Potter working on that wheel. I like to look at the wheel as life. Why? Because that Potter has total, absolute control over that wheel. If you went to a shopping center somewhere, to some kind of a, a fair where they had arts and crafts, normally the potters that work there, they turn the wheel onto high or medium or low and it spins and they can walk away and get something and it still spins. But this potter controls the wheel there in Hebron with the pumping of his foot. And if he wants the wheel to go very, very fast, he pumps the wheel very, very fast. And if he wants the wheel to go very, very slow, he just pumps the wheel very slow. And if he stops to go pick up something or to do something, the wheel stops. And of course, we know that's true as far as our own lives are concerned, that God is in total, absolute control. And I don't know how you feel about that. You've got choices to make every day, decisions to make as God works in and through your life. I can remember in November of 1971, I had my own business in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was in the insurance business, estate planning, corporate planning. I had some 600 corporate clients and things were really going well financially. And I was really struggling with some things in my life spiritually. I was brought up in a Christian home. I was saved when I was 11 years of age, but my life was lived somewhat like a spiritual roller coaster. A lot of peaks and valleys, not a lot of consistency. And I was sitting in my office in November of 71 and I made a decision that I really wanted what God wanted. Period. I had made that decision before. But along with that choice or decision, I made another one. But I was going to stay in God's Word for the next six weeks for one hour a day during prime selling time between 8 and 5. And I called my secretary in and I told her to bring my schedule. And I said, I'm going to be doing something here in my office. I don't want to be disturbed unless it's an emergency. And we're going to carve out an hour a day. We may have to alter or adjust some schedule that I might have or an appointment. I can't begin to tell you what happened in my own life in those next six weeks. It was revolutionized. It was changed. I made a decision. I made a choice. 
put God first in my life and I put some meat to it. In fact, by the end of February, four months later, I made a decision to sell out and to move up to Word of Life and I was involved in that ministry for five years before the Lord led me out on my own. I made a decision on one Sunday afternoon after a phone call my wife and I did to leave, sell our home. We had just built a beautiful five-bedroom colonial home. The income that they offered me was 90% less than what I was earning and none of those things seemed important. I mean, God had called us. He had given us a responsibility, something to do. We're going to go do it. We made that decision and choice. God's will was beautiful those days. I mean, we just had peace in our heart that just passeth understanding. Five days later, this was Sunday, we made the decision. On Friday, I get a call from my wife to meet her at Children's Hospital, and we discovered that day that our four-and-a-half-year-old son had leukemia. I can remember sitting the next day, because they took a day for tests, listening to six pediatric hematologists tell my wife and I that our son, statistically speaking, wasn't going to make it. He just wasn't going to make it. Now, I had a choice to make. I had a choice to say, thank you, Lord, for bringing this into my life. I can use it to the praise of your glory, or I had a choice to get angry and mad and say, God, you had no right. I mean, look what I just did last Sunday for you. And now you're stepping all over my head. Well, I made the wrong choice. I got very, very angry at God. I left that meeting. I walked around for about an hour. I went back to a hospital room. I found an empty one. Took out my little New Testament, had the Psalms in it, I didn't know where to look. I was really distraught. I was crying. I was angry. I just couldn't put it all together. That wheel was spinning so fast. And I opened the Word and all of a sudden my eyes fell upon Psalms 34.1. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I wasn't really praising Him then. Verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. I didn't feel He was very good. Then I thought of 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that I knew from memory and it said, In everything give thanks. This is God's will for your life. This is part of God's plan and part of God's program. I knelt down there in that empty hospital room. I had the little New Testament open. I began to pray that God would teach me what he wanted me to learn and to use this to the praise of his glory. I went back to the hospital room. My wife was sitting there. She was feeling very discouraged. I shared with her what had just happened. I had a peace in my heart that I knew that God was in control beyond my description. make a long story short, we left. We went up to Word of Life. God found a doctor for us. My son went through five years of chemotherapy. And then he had four years, almost five years, when he was in remission. And then a few years ago, we discovered that it reoccurred once again. But the second time around, we were prepared because we knew that God was allowing this to happen, that our lives might be strengthened, we might grow thereby, we might be more effective to the praise of His glory. I have to say that my son's leukemia has been the greatest blessing that God has brought into my life because I made a choice or a decision to allow God to use it any way that He could. Darren went through another four years of chemotherapy. Now he has almost completed five years with no medication. He's a miracle statistic. The doctors can't understand it. No one goes through two bouts with leukemia, let alone one. Today he's in Argentina spending six months on the mission field. He finished one year of Bible school and he's going to come back and complete his Bible school training. And uh, the Lord really seems to be leading now to lead him to the mission field. But that was a hard decision. That was a hard choice. But once I made that choice as a businessman, in fact, you know what my first 
reaction was when I began to analyze this as a businessman, I don't know if it's very theologically sound, was that I wasn't important enough for God to make his first mistake in my life. I mean, is Darren's leukemia a mistake? No, it wasn't a mistake. All part of God's plan and program. He had a purpose in it to allowing it to occur. And I can't tell you how many phone calls we've had, how many opportunities to share and minister. How many times when I've ministered in churches, holding seminars and so forth, and I've talked about, is there anything in your life today where you're bitter towards God because of something He's allowed to happen? You've never been able to thank God for it. You've never been able to see this is part of God's plan or purpose for your life. I can remember one Sunday... There was a lady sitting on the first row with a very deformed young man. I mean, he could hardly walk. And what a thrilling thing at the end when I spoke on making choice to see this woman. She just came forward with this boy who was 11 years of age. He looked like he was about four. Both of them weeping. that She just had been bitter towards God all these years because of what God had allowed to happen to her son. The next thing that Jeremiah saw was the clay, and of course the clay indicates you and I. What are we going to allow God to do with our lives? What kind of choices are we going to make day by day? Are we going to allow Him to do His perfect work through our living? You see, I have never seen someone go to that potter's shop there in Hebron and ask to buy a lump of clay. They want to buy the finished product because that's where the value is. I mean, God's never through working in and through our lives until He takes us home to glory, but the finished product that God wants to use each day as He exposes us to the world brings value into our lives. If I had a piece of raw steel up here, I read the other day that it was possibly about this big, it would be worth about $2. Someone took that raw steel and made it into watch springs. The value would go to something like a hundred and some thousand dollars. The value of our lives is making those choices every day to allow God to work and do what He wants to do with us, to accept it on that kind of a basis that we might be the people that God wants us to be. You see, you'll notice here in verse 4, it says that the, mess, the vessel that He made of clay was marred. Uh, they were making wrong decisions, wrong choices. God wasn't able to have free reign in their lives. And then it goes on to say, but yes... God understands and, and He's willing to make that vessel, vessel useful if that person makes the decisions and the choices that are necessary that God might use them to the praise of His glory. You see, our lives are not determined by what we want. Our lives are determined by the choices that we make. It's amazing how many illustrations I've accumulated over the years concerning choices. I've had the opportunity for about 14 years to do professional baseball chapels. I can remember about six years ago, it was Easter Sunday, I was in New York City with my wife, we were speaking to the New York Yankees and the um, uh, Texas Rangers, I believe it was, and we were sitting at the coffee shop of the Sheraton Hotel walking, watching people walk up and down in their Easter finery, rather amusing. We left the hotel, we went to walk three blocks down to where our car was. Just before we got to our car, I noticed a man sitting on a doorstep of a tenement house and I stopped and I said to my wife I said I want you to look at that man for a moment I, said, I don't want to look at him he's, he's just awful I mean he had thrown up at night it was all in his beard his hat was torn his clothes were torn he could see all ten toes through his shoes he was absolute disaster she said why would I want to look at him I said you know what runs through my mind he doesn't want to be there he doesn't want to be there. She says, what do you mean? He doesn't want to be there. You know why he's there? Wrong choices. Wrong choices. 
some point in his life he made a wrong choice, very, very insignificant. And then he made another choice, another choice, pretty soon the whole course and destiny of his life is going in a wrong direction. I guarantee you, I don't know what his background was, but if he ever had a goal sheet, he didn't have on that goal sheet Easter Sunday, 19 whatever it was, 80, 81, I want to be on New York City streets as a drunk laying in the gutter. It wasn't there. I can remember I was speaking in Baltimore, Maryland, and I got a telephone call. They had traced me three different places. I was eating dinner with a couple. A friend of mine in Florida called. In fact, it was the couple we had on campus here last April. I had been in their home maybe four or five months before, and I noticed that their 16-year-old daughter was really, I really felt, going in the wrong direction just from the outward deportment of her life. This is a good, solid, God-fearing family. She was going to a Christian school. Once, one morning, I found myself at breakfast with her alone. I took out a 3 by 5 card. I wrote her name, and then I wrote, Your life is not determined by what you want, but by the choices that you make. And I took a magnet on the refrigerator, and I stuck it on the refrigerator. And I said, Now, every day throughout the day when you go to that refrigerator, I want you to look at that. Because I think you're making some wrong choices. No, I'm not making any wrong choices. Well, that evening, her father indicated to me that she was going to be expecting a child. She was expecting a child. They didn't know what to do. Their hearts were broken. And he said, the reason why I'm calling you is we found out about it last night. And we sat down with her with the youth pastor's wife from the church because that's the person she confided in first. And she said, you know, everything I ever wanted in life now cannot be a reality. And they said, what do you mean? And she took the card and showed it to him. She said, I made a wrong choice. I made a wrong choice. And now the whole course and direction of my life has gone in a direction I never wanted it to go. Never wanted it to go. It's a tragedy. I'm sure you've all heard of Leonardo da Vinci. Leonardo da Vinci, of course, painted that famous painting of the Lord's Supper. The story is told that Leonardo da Vinci was looking for someone to illustrate Jesus Christ and he found a chorister in one of the choirs of Rome, just an angelic-looking young man, and he painted him as Jesus Christ in this beautiful painting of the Lord's Supper. The painting was completed now except for one character, and this was Judas. Several years had passed and he went out into the hard sections of Rome to try to find someone that he thought would depict the picture of Judas. And he found a young man that when he looked at him, it almost made him shudder. A young man just laden with sin and he asked him if for a fee if he would sit for a portrait. And the young man said yes he would. And he was sitting there one day and Leonardo da Vinci said to him, you know, he said, I haven't even met you yet. What is your name? He says, my name is Pietro Bandinelli. He said, several years ago I sat as you painted the picture of Jesus Christ. Do you think that young man wanted to go from an artist's conception of Jesus Christ to an artist's conception of Judas? No, he didn't want to. Why did it happen? He made wrong choices. Wrong choices. John was ministering in Scroon Lake for Shepherd's type conference, pastor's conference, this June. And I was there with my Bible every day and he was speaking from James. And I listened to him on Tuesday, I listened to him on Wednesday, and uh, Thursday at 5 a.m. in the morning I'm in the hospital. I have a swollen disc, I can't feel either leg, I got cramps like a muscle cramp in both legs, I'm just waiting for the next pain shot. 
And I'm laying there trying to figure out, Lord, why am I here? I'm too busy to be here. I got this to do and that phone call and all these appointments and all these responsibilities. Because God had just laid into my life an awesome responsibility of a new direct selling company and a Christian man has just been after me for months to be involved because 70% of the profits are going to go into missions and I just didn't want to make that decision. And I really fought it for several days and I could remember looking and in fact I opened up my Bible to James, you know, where it says in verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and I had certainly fallen into one. I had a choice to make as a businessman laying in the hospital. I'd get angry at God and frustrated. I could say, Lord, I know that my life hasn't been prioritized the way it ought to be, that you really haven't been number one in some areas. You see, the best, greatest, most important, whatever choice that a believer makes is a closet ministry. You'll never be able to make the decisions that God wants you to make without spending at least 30 minutes to an hour, not part of your study time and preparation time for classes, just alone in God's Word, studying His Word, meditating upon it, applying it to your own life, spending time in prayer. That was the reason why my life changed so dramatically in 71 and for those next several years God was using it for his glory and I got so busy that yes I would have it but it would be you know just like 30 seconds so I could stand up and say yes I had my quiet time today good boy am I with a gold star but it wasn't quality and God really showed me those hours and days laying there rack of pain that listen you haven't been living your life the way you ought to live it and I began thinking about this decision I had to make and through the process it was a marvelous experience. I had two months this summer where I just had to learn to almost walk all over again and so forth and so on and God just worked in my heart and life in a marvelous way. It was a thrilling, thrilling two months. The most profitable two months spiritually in the last 15 years. I made a choice to allow God to do his perfect work through my life because I know he had me there for a very, very specific reason. See, your life is not determined by what you want. Your life is determined by the choices that you make. And I'm sure that everyone here has made that most important choice to receive Christ as Savior, but then the second most important choice is that closet ministry that your heart's prepared every day to allow God to do with it whatever he desires to do. In closing, when I was a young man, a junior in high school, I fell in love. Now, I thought it was big dog stuff. Everyone else said it was puppy dog love, but the girl and I knew that it was a Great Dane and a St. Bernard, one on top of the other. It was big dog stuff. She was from a non-Christian home and I was from a Christian home, and so the responsibility for the dating aspects uh, were really fell totally upon me. I mean, I was the controlling factor. I had the input, the background. She was a, basically a, a new Christian. She had no help at home. Well, our dating experience wasn't all that it should have been, but I loved her and I can remember that one night we went forward in a missionary conference to commit our lives to Christ. We wanted whatever he wanted. I left to go away to a Bible school in Minnesota left her in Akron, Ohio for her senior year and we decided because of all the activities she would be involved in and all that I would be playing football and so forth there that uh, we should date other people. We wouldn't really enjoy it, but we should anyway. Well, I can remember that after I left I got letters about every other day and pretty soon I was getting letters very sparingly and uh, finally one day about 
a month and a half or so, almost two months, I got a, a letter and it said, I'm really excited and I want you to come home. She said, I've been elected queen over the whole area, over 35 high schools. And they're going to have a big ball, big dance, and I want you to come and escort me. I, I called her. I said, I've never gone to a dance in my life. I mean, why would we start now? Why don't you just go during the intermission and accept your crown and, you know, don't be churchy about it, but just, uh, just go and do it. She says, I don't want that. I want more. I said, well, I think you're making a wrong decision. Another week later, I got a letter from her telling me that she was going and who she was going with. The fellow was an all-state football player, but only thing I could describe his name is T-R-A-S-H, trash. I knew him. He was trash. And I called her and I begged her and she says, no, I want more out of life than I've been experiencing. I came home from school. I had about 47 boils on my right leg from playing football and they sent me home to get medical treatment. Went over to her house to see her. This was the day after Thanksgiving and I had left the 1st of September so it was only less than three months. Knocked on the door and she came to the door and I hardly recognized her. She had changed so dramatically. We sat down and talked for over two hours and she told me, you know, I found a lot of things in life that I was missing. I want more out of life. Make a long story short, nine months later I got a phone call from a girlfriend of hers inviting me to her wedding. Doing a little probing, I found out it wasn't something she'd planned on doing, but she felt she needed to do it because she was expecting this fellow's child, the same fellow she went to the dance with that night. I went to the wedding in a little Baptist church. Everyone was dressed up like you're supposed to be dressed up at a wedding. Her in a white dress, he in a tuxedo. I went down the receiving line. I waited till the end and her mom and dad were not Christians, but both of them said, you know, I wish it was you and not this other guy. And I looked at this girl. I still cared a lot for her, eyeball to eyeball, and I took her hand and she pulled me forward and kissed me on the cheek and she said, I wish it was you. I've sure made a lot of wrong decisions. And I went out inside that church and I was by myself it was at night and I stood there and cried for a long time here's someone inside of a church supposed to be the happiest night of her life and that's a disaster I have lost contact with her but I lost contact when I found out about her third marriage at one time I know that she wanted exactly exactly what I wanted her life's a disaster why because she didn't want it badly enough no because she made a wrong choice it seemed very simple that night, but then it built upon others, so the whole course and direction of her life changed. Young people, as a businessman that's in the marketplace every single day, let me tell you, your life is not determined, although goals are important, desires are important, wants are important, your life is determined by the choices that you make. You made a great choice to come here to study, that's the beginning. Make another choice if you're not doing it to spend time in this word every day and keep your heart open that God might do through your life what he desires to do so that all those desires that you want will become a reality because the blessing of God will be upon your life. Thank you. John.